it will be interesting when May happens and rolls around to see how the industry looks back at the past year, uh, looks at the promises that were made and, uh, you know, holds themselves in check and accountable for what progress has been made. I look forward to that discussion. another episode of ad blocking with jason duane smith the world around us is well different we're living in a time to test all of our boundaries and beliefs it's not always easy and sometimes talking about ads is the last thing any of us want to do ad blocking is a podcast a safe space where real people real marketers talk about everything but advertising stories of growing up coming out, falling down, and looking in. Underneath it all, we're all just humans. In today's episode, I speak with two of the most brilliant and intentional humans our industry has ever seen. Industry game changer, ad woman of the year, former marketing lead at Pepsi, Kimberly Clark, McDonald's, and currently global head of vertical solutions marketing at Facebook, Lizette Williams. Zet and I are joined by co-founder of IDEA, a digital native, an industry inspiration, and current SVP of marketing at ad tech firm Truex. We took a moment to share a very intentional perspective on our social responsibility in today's marketing and advertising environment. We also provide guidance to others on how to be the change we as an industry and as a community say we want to be. I believe this episode provides a view into real humanity, care, and intention that most in advertising should be inspired by. And with that, let's dive in. We ended up coming together over the summer around a lot of the racial injustice. And, you know, Lizette really stepped out straight out early and was like, we have to dismantle racism, period. While everyone else was talking around it, Lizette was very intentional with the language. Like, this is what we're trying to do. And I remember the first time I heard her say that, I'm like, yeah, man, like, that's it. Like, I need to find a way to, like, support her and get together with more people to do, like, just that somehow some way and i can't remember anyone else using that particular phrase before i heard lizette bring it to life and it stuck with me ever since and then christian you know you and the work that you were doing with american ad federation i mean we all just got together and really joined hands on how we can play our own parts to really make change so it inspired me i thank you guys and uh and i appreciate it you know so just wanted to kind of open up with that a little bit and and thank you guys for letting me come into your world, you know. Um, so from there, I want to just ask you guys, like building on that, you know, I haven't done it with a group yet. So you guys are going to have to just go with me. Let's start ladies first, I guess. Thinking about the summer, thinking about even 
the world that we live in, how it led up to the summer and the change that it instilled in us. I just love to hear, you know, how what I call the pandemic period has affected you. Just open question, like not intentional. If you think about this whole period that began with this pandemic, how do you think about its impact on you as a person and what you bring into the world? Yeah, I mean, it was it was super disruptive to to my life almost on every level. Um, obviously, as a mother with children at home, first and foremost, um, but I think also as a black mom to two two children, um, particularly a little boy, um, it was just every time I thought we had reached a level of like, wow, this is really hard. Um, and that was just being home, going through the COVID and sheltering in place. And then um, the George Floyd murder happens, right? Like there wasn't enough pressure going on. Um, and it kind of, I mean, we all knew this wasn't, if you're black in America, it's nothing new, right? But I think there was an awakening for the rest of the world that we had known in a very insular way for a long time. And I think that realization from the external world is was just so fascinating to watch everyone be outraged when this has been such an intrinsic part of our lives. Like we, <laughs> was anything new, right? Like, um, but it was it was just, and as I saw people stepping up to to talk about it or put black boxes on their, um, you know, their social media, I'm like, no, if if they're gonna try to step up on something we've been dealing with for years, then we have to drive accountability in a completely different way. So I think there was like a personal aspect of like, how do I talk to my kids about this? There was also the election going on and a lot of complexity with explaining that to them, COVID, being black. Um, but then there was my professional responsibility to this industry that I think all of us love and our leaders within, and we have accountability to that to really push people forward. Um, and it sounds crazy, but I'm thankful for, I'm thankful for all of it. I'm thankful for all of 2020 because it never, it, we never would have had some of the discussions we had and we never would have pushed forward the way that we have. And so for that, I'm really thankful. Christian, how about you, man? 2020, COVID, uh, social injustice, um, elections, you know, life always is changing. It's always constantly evolving and changing. I think the, the, the gravity and the scale of that change all at one time in one year was so much for all of us to wrap our, not only our heads around, our minds around, but emotionally, spiritually. How do you wrap your head around the fact that, guess what? You're locked into your home and your bubble for the next year. It's We're coming up on a year of being in lockdown, some version of lockdown, you know? families being on top of one another, friends and families, you know, losing loved ones and, and acquaintances. Uh, you know, then the summer, to, to Lizette's point last summer, uh, it kind of culminated with, with George Floyd. But I mean, for people of color, this has been building and building and it's never stopped. Let's put it, let's, let's be real. It's never really stopped and it's never gone away. Uh, but the way that the graphic nature of his murder galvanized people across color lines, across, uh, you know, cultural boundaries, across socioeconomic, you know, uh, uh, boundaries and divisions. 
that was something that I never thought I would see in my lifetime, frankly. Uh, and it was powerful. It was powerful. And I, I, speaking for myself, I am a changed person as a result of last year, 100% unequivocally. I think first and foremost, watching George Floyd's life get snuffed out the way it was, the brutal, heinous way that it happened, it, it definitely changed my heart. It changed my spirit and my soul. And it made me that much more committed to the cause uh, and ensuring that uh, I use my voice in whatever way possible to affect change uh, and progress movement in a way that, again, to Lizette's point, underscores accountability, underscores transparency, all the things that Every vertical, every industry has said, yes, yes, we are all about diversity and inclusion. Bullshit. It should. Talk is cheap. Show us. Say do. Um, and me being a catalyst and working with the both of you last summer to help propel that, uh, to help ensure that we were holding organizations and members and, and our colleagues, our friends, our peers accountable uh, I think was just a, a, a very much a turning point uh, in terms of how I look at um, diversity, inclusion, and the lack thereof in our industry specifically. Um, getting back to George Floyd and the personal impact on me, uh, it, it dredged up a lot of uh, old feelings, um, old memories of, of my own interactions with police. Uh, and of course, you know, as a father of two young men, uh, you know, my oldest son, Rohan, 16 and a half is important at that age. Uh, and then my youngest is, you know, 14. We've been having these discussions since 2012, 13. I mean, you know, that's a fact, you know, since Trayvon Martin, I've had to have these discussions with, with, both of my boys. And that's only accelerated over the course of the past few years. Um, you know, I remember my oldest son having nightmares about Eric Gardner and, you know, the, waking up saying, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Like he, he gets claustrophobic at times. And that was something we had to deal with. And so, you know, Jason, long answer to a short question, man, last year was a prolific year. It was a powerful year a year of change on so many levels. And, and I think, you know, realistically, as a society, as a people, individually even, the ramifications and the effects, the long-term effects of last year, we won't know what and how that has truly impacted us uh, psychologically or emotionally for years to come, to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, similar to what Lizette said also, I, I'm grateful for uh, being able to not just survive last year, but uh, to really uh, crystallize my relationships with my loved ones, with my friends, with my family. It's helped me to better prioritize the things that are important in my life. Uh, and it's just uh, put into focus the things that I need to work on both externally and internally. I like I like that that I, I want to build on that last part and it's also a playback on Lizette which is I've had 
I've really reflected on the year and I hope that this is good. I've, I'm starting to get to a place where I'm seeing all the positivity in it. You know, I'm seeing this like the reckoning was required. And now I feel like I'm looking at people like us, which is so much admiration. Like not only have we overcome so many things, but man, we're fucking beautiful, you know, like in so many ways. And something about this has actually created a really strong, like unifying mindset for me. So I wanted to ask you guys too, like if we kind of shift the mindset to how will we actually use a lot of this pandemic period to actually grow, you know, and, and think about, you know, either how we think about parenting, like you said, Christian, how do you prioritize your life? You know, how do you actually start to put a new lens on how we see things and how we use our presence to have more of a positive impact? I just wanted to ask you guys, if you think about it, like philosophically, maybe Lizette, like how do you think a lot of this is actually just either up your game in terms of your spirit and, and, and what you think is more important to you, how you parent, how you engage with people, how you see us? Or how has it transformed that perspective in a positive way? Because I think you're right. I think a lot of this actually did create some needed needed unity. And if you can use that power in the right way, it can do some great things. So I wanted to get your perspective. Yeah, on that. no, it's a great question. And I think what came to light for me in particular, and I've always been really vocal in the industry, you guys know that, but I think the sheer magnitude of the responsibility that I have as a leader as as a person of color that has has quote unquote made it right because we're you the three of us are sitting in a very privileged place let's just be honest about that that a lot of our people are not sitting in and so i think the magnitude of the responsibility that i had for the industry that i serve for our community and then as a mother to to two black kids um you know i pulled i was i was sad i mean i cried i went through all of the emotions of after watching the video and then I pulled myself together um, and I realized that I needed to mobilize and move into action because that is what I believe that God called me to do. And I wouldn't have been sitting in this position that I am if that wasn't part of my calling. And so I think the sheer magnitude of that, that's when I wrote the Ad Week article and I was mobilizing people to raise money for this organization that um, serves underserved populations on the South side and like really moved into this mode of like, no, I'm not just going to sit here and be sad. Um, and I do a lot of public speaking and I changed a lot of what I say when I go out to do this, to focus on the resilience of people of color as a strength, because I think the messages that we get often is really rooted in historical, you know, falsities <laughs> to say the least, where I think like for real, for real, we come from some of the strongest people and the strongest lineage in the world. And there's a lot that we could rest on. And I continue to rest on that to navigate corporate hallways. Uh, and it is because of that that I'm in the position that I'm in. So I think it's changed me significantly and it's allowed me um, to be unapologetic and unafraid. I, I will say I'm like before, I think I was a little bit more reserved, I would say, in certain circles. And now I've just become unafraid um, and unapologetic around where I stand and very transparent about that. I love it. I'm, Christian, it's a build on it for you, man. You know, like it's right. So you guys know I have this new job and it's weird because when I left the category of this job, uh, I'll speak on my own behalf. Yes, I 
certainly wasn't as comfortable being as direct about the challenges that we as an industry need to sort of manage and correct around racial justice and and and, and fairness. And here I am, you know, two years later, and it's all we talk about, you know, and and and, there, and but and that and and that's a good thing. That's a good thing, you know. And and there's intention behind it, you know. And you know, and and there's a there's there's a beauty in not having to talk around being black, you know. It, it you know, this is who I am. So, Christian, I wanted to maybe ask you, man, in your professional world, kind of talk a little bit about any shift that you've seen in terms of how people are talking about the dynamic, not just of black culture, because I don't want to make this whole conversation about that aspect, because there's much more I want to get into about us as people, but just the dynamic of just equality, fairness, accessibility, and, you know, how our industry and even within the professional hallways, like, how has that conversation maybe changed or how have you seen it change over the course of the pandemic versus what we were seeing and talking about before all this? Well, let's let's be real um, and keep it 100. We weren't talking about it before this, right? Like, mm -hmm. broadly speaking, uh, except for maybe in certain smaller circles, this was, you know, something that we carried the burden of, uh, either on our own shoulders or again with with you know within certain groups and cliques. Um, you know, look, I'm sure we all have war stories of. Uh, being treated unfairly uh, because of our skin color within the workplace. I know I have them. Um, you know, I've been called out for being overly aggressive um, and and intimidating because of the way I look. And straight up was told, look, you're you're a big guy, you're bald. You know, sometimes when you get a little upset, you know, it's intimidating. Meanwhile, you know, my peers or colleagues who are not people of color could act the fool and never get any kind of uh, blowback. And so, you know, that has been something, a stigma that has uh, stayed with me um, for many, many years. And, and I've had to, uh, to a degree, walk on eggshells. Um, around my peers and colleagues and almost, you know, uh, not be my true authentic self. And I think what this past year has done has ripped the Band-Aid off of that, allowed all of us to truly be ourselves and not only be ourselves, but have those tough conversations about diversity, inclusion, uh, and, and in a way that ladders up to what are the business aspects and components of having a diverse uh, uh, culture uh, and organization. How does that ladder up to business at the end of the day as well? So, you know, I think for me, it's been a blessing uh, not having to walk around eggshells, having frank conversations, having uh, you know, my peers, my bosses uh, look to me and want to have these discussions about what can we do that's to help uh, ensure that we are not only setting ourselves up for success uh, as it pertains to diversity and inclusion, but also creating platforms for all of us to have conversations that are 
uncomfortable but necessary. Um, but uh, also hold, you know, our peers, our colleagues uh, accountable uh, at the same time and, and have those tough discuss discussions. So I think I'm encouraged uh, by what I've seen in the past year. It will be interesting when May happens and rolls around to see how the industry looks back at the past year, uh, looks at the promises that were made and, uh, you know, holds themselves in check and accountable for what progress has been made. I look forward to that discussion. Mm -hmm. Fair. So I want to build a slightly pivot a little bit, and that is with Lizette. I always give for all this extra praise and I hope it doesn't embarrass her, but like you do a lot and you're really busy. And so I think people see that work and they think it's just easy. Like you don't have moments where you're like, oh, like everyone goes through it. They have emotional breakdowns. They have scenarios where it's like, this might feel like a lot. So I just wanted to ask, like, maybe I'll share a little bit about me. I think over the course of this year, I've had to really focus on what I call just like life breathing, like taking a step back, contemplating, like getting myself together and then showing up at work with this full intention, even though I have some emotional challenges, like living around all this. And so I've had to really find places for self-care, you know, connection with people, inspiration. So I just wanted to ask you, is that like outside of a lot of the day-to-day -day work that you're doing and, and how you're really bringing the industry together and your community together, where are you finding personal self-care? Like, where are you finding personal inspiration? What's When you aren't doing all this stuff, how are you either connecting with people, reading, watching things, listening to things? Like, what are you doing to kind of help inspire yourself? Because we're in the house all the time. We're not around people physically like we usually are. So I wanted to pick your brain on where you're finding those sources of inspiration and, and also self-care. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's a good question. And I don't see this. I see this as my life's work. So I don't see it as like work work. So it's a little different for me. Like people ask me what I do in my free time. I'm like, oh, I dismantle systemic racism. And like, I'm <laughs> 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 what I do in my free time. Um, I think, you know, my kids for me, they're eight and 11 ground me because they don't really see me like, you know, the rest of the, you know, our industry. So for them, I'm just mommy and I'm super, this is the most time I've ever spent with my kids since they've been alive. Mm -hmm. It was this past year. And there was something so special about this time cooking with them in the kitchen or watching a movie with them. Like we were together all the time and it was something very special and I reconnected with them in a way I didn't miss things like, you know, I was, you know, teeth went missing and like a lot of things that I missed. And I didn't even realize that I was missing those things until I was home and really forced to be here for like a year with these kids and realizing there were all these little special moments um, that I got to be a part of that reminded me that I'm more than a title and I'm more than an employee and I'm more than an activist. I'm also like somebody's mom and they're looking at me in a completely different way. And so for me, it's really plugging into my kids. My faith is a big part of my life and continues to be. So start the day and end the day in the word, um, continue to stay plugged into my church um, and some Bible study groups as well. And then I thank God for that because you guys know the rough and tumble of <laughs> the jobs we have. Sometimes that's what's sustaining me. Um, 
but yeah, it's been hard. It's it's officially been a year this month since I've seen anyone I share DNA with besides my kids. And and then Christian, I want to come to you, but let's build on it because Lizette, it is important to note that you were one of the earlier, really sort of movers and shakers and taking on a really important new job right in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> I mean, you like have you met any of have you met any of your key coworkers in person yet at, at your new company? No, I interviewed all virtually. Um, I'm leading a team of 17 people globally and I have not met a single person nor my boss or anyone else yet. And um, it feels like we know each other though, honestly. Right. I mean, everyone's had to adapt. I mean, so you had the combination of, you know, our, our, our worldly challenges, taking on a new job. And then, of course, you've got your family and, and, and Christian kind of similarly for you, man. I mean, I like to really think about, you know, you and I, we connect a lot on so many things, you know, how we, you know, podcast, reading, you know, it, it, now that you said that people say you're intimidating, I'll feel bad saying it, but, you know, we're both really physical. We keep ourselves active, take care of ourselves. How have you been kind of really maintaining yourself, man, and finding space to just keep yourself in a good mental space so that you bring your whole self and energy into your world? I mean, <clears throat> that's been a that's been a you know, I I always say about myself, Jason, that uh, I'm a constant work in progress. Uh, and um, so to answer directly, you know, how do I or where do I find time for myself? I mean, it's in all things that I do, whether it's acting as a mentee to to a ton of people in the industry um, and friends or spending you know quality time with my family uh, and especially the boys that to Lizette's point, that has been the biggest blessing out of the last year. Um, you know, the missed dinners, the back to back business and time away from the fam. I don't, I, I actually do not miss that. I miss some of the trips, can, hello. Um, but, you know, <laughs> true, true stories. But, you know, ultimately on the positive side, the time with my family uh, has been a God, godsend. Um, you know, being present uh, and, and Having dinners on a day-to-day -day basis with my family. I never did that. But I literally barely ever did that except for the weekends. Now, every night we're eating dinners together. We watch the news together. That, I mean, you just can't put a price on that. Um, you know, and then there are the other things, obviously, with my own personal passions outside of, uh, you know, uh, dismantling racism, as, as Lizette said. The other thing that I've really leaned into quite a bit this past year is politics. Um, and I was on a couple of Joe Biden's uh, committees uh, last year uh, for environment and climate uh, specifically uh, and, and energy as well. Uh, and then I was very involved in local politics. I had a buddy of mine who ran for town council uh, who he ended up winning, uh, but working with him and helping him. Uh, I was basically his, you know, marketing PR guy, let's say, or his comms guy. So helping him prep for debates, uh, you know, understanding and tackling the issues on a local level. But, you know, I think, you know, ultimately people have to find ways and outlets to release um, in whatever way that is. You know, sometimes I love to cook. Sometimes it's cooking. I love mixed martial arts. I, I practice. I study. Sometimes it's that. I do hot yoga. Sometimes it's that, although it's not been hot lately. It's been just regular yoga. Um, you know, so you got to find your 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 
opportunities and lanes to exhale, uh, find some peace and calmness so you can actually pull back the lens, pull back the aperture and see things in its totality. Because sometimes when you're on the grind, you're just, it's hard. It's hard to, you know, you're just constantly doing, doing, doing. And, and I think pulling back the lens, taking a pause allows one to reflect, to see where you're at and to make uh, adjustments along the way. I love it. it. But we all were sort of born by influences. And I actually want to kind of dig into you guys upbringing a little bit. I want to kind of get to know you and help other get to know you. And so Lizette, I mean, it's kind of a one, it's one question, but it's got two parts. You know, I'd love to kind of hear a little bit about just your upbringing. You know, what do you think kind of contributed to who you are? And, and then if there's a part two to it, you know, what do you think or who do you think was a huge inspiration? So I, I think you guys might know this. I'm from the South Bronx, born and raised and grew up in an inner city community that was mainly black and Latino. Um, and so I have, I think I have a very deep empathy for low, lower socioeconomic communities because I came from that community. I went to public school. I went to one of the poorest public school districts in New York. And I got this incredible opportunity to go to boarding school when I was 14 in rural Massachusetts. Um, which was a non-diverse environment. There were probably 10 students of color. And when I was 14 was the first time I ever spoke to a white person my own age in my life. Um, and then my idea of I'm aging myself of like what I thought white people, kids were, was like 90210 or Melrose Place like that, you know, the media is how I thought they were because I'd never spoken to one in my life. Um, and that experience in high school was very disruptive for me. And I think that's what really shaped me. I became an activist in the ninth grade. Um, mm. I became an activist on campus. I was president of our student of color organization. There was a senior when I was a freshman by the name of Nakima Levy, African-American girl from South Central LA. She is now the president of the Minneapolis NAACP chapter. She was my best friend in, in high school um, that year that I was there. And I think she was very influential and showing me how to navigate a non-diverse space and maintain my authenticity. People could, I mean, I had a very thick New York, Puerto Rican accent. People couldn't even understand what I was saying when I first got to boarding school. Um, but that's because I was so young, it improved my diction, but I, I really felt what it was like to be different. I was very urban when I got there. I had urban vernacular, urban clothing. Like I just came up in a very different way in terms of what was cool and interesting for a a black Latina adolescent. Um, and so a lot of things happened while I was there. So I've experienced racism firsthand, been called all types of things. And again, I, I was an activist in high school and it just stayed with me because I really felt like I understood what it what it was to be marginalized and to be different. It's funny, I was like, Christian, I wanna I wanna go to you too, but I was listening to my sister just got me hip to this new podcast called uh and you guys are going to go, how did you not listen to this? But it's the Jay Ill podcast. Jill Scott has a podcast. Have you guys listened to her podcast yet? I haven't, no. Nope. It's actually super cool. And she had this podcast recently. I think her last episode was talking about, uh, like, I guess what I would call it is more of like uh, geographic black dialect, you know, like how people from Chicago that are black may sound versus, you know, DC or New York. And, and she, as I listened to it, I, I was thinking back to like when we were kids, at least for me, 
as a young black person, you not only had to deal with sort of judgment when you met non-blacks, but then when you started to remember, they you just say you speak white. Remember that they'd be like, oh yeah, you know, you're, you're speaking white, and you you, and it always kind of felt like you couldn't win on either side. It's like you know, I'm at home, I'm in my neighborhood, and I'm I'm kind of managing that space, and then I go to school and. To Lizette's point, you start to you you learn immersion. Like, how do I actually navigate this world? And so, it's just something that I really had on my mind. Is hopefully our kids don't have to manage that kind of stuff, and, and it's a little bit of a different perspective. But Christians, don't you think? For me, that was early training and how to make white people feel comfortable around me. Yeah, like, I'm so thankful for it because it it made me socially acceptable, and I learned how to I, I learned how to speak. Yeah. Uh, and it was a skill that I don't think that I had in the eighth grade when I was only in my inner city community. And yes, when I went back home, people were like, what happened to your voice? Like, you sound so different. Um, but I learned how to navigate non-diverse spaces. And so for me, it was almost like my secret weapon because I was still that black girl from the Bronx on the inside. But now what people, you know, the outside of me and what came into the world was this very socially acceptable you know, articulate young woman. Right, because it, it, it's, I'm happy you built on it with me because I think it's, it, it, it's an under, it's an under uh, explored space. It's simple things like that. Simple things like, doesn't matter how smart I am, doesn't matter how much I know, doesn't matter how cultured I am. If I walk into a room and I don't sound the way that you think I should sound, I'm already at a disadvantage, already, and I haven't even done anything yet, right? And 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 it's, it, I think it's just something that a lot of people, certainly that aren't of color, don't realize that simple things like that, you know, you're on a conference call, you're you're, you're in an interview, and it's just like, and and like you said, Lizette, we kind of have a similar background, like having to learn that early on, uh, I'm always troubled with it because I go, I'm thankful for it, but then it's like, there's a sadness in it that, you know, that, that, like, that's a required skill, I guess, that you have to have in order to, uh, immerse. So I don't know. I'm, I'm happy you built on that one with me though. Christian thoughts on that, man. What do you, what do you think about, about this perspective? I mean, it's 100% spot on. Um, you know, for me, uh, first of all, uh, Lizette, Boogie Down, I, I I keep forgetting that you're from the Boogie Down. So Boogie Down yeah. and Boricua. So, you know, <laughs> no luck. Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> right on. So much respect and love for you, uh, for both of you. But, you know, for me, uh, you know, I'm first generation born American. Both my parents are from Haiti. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, Haiti was the world's first black-led republic uh, and the first independent Caribbean state. Uh, they won their independence through beating the French. So, you know, both my parents came to this country uh, when they were 19 and 16, respectively. Didn't speak any English, of course. Um, my pops, you know, fought in Vietnam. Uh, you know, did two tours, and then uh, he and my mom were married. Uh, they had me. Uh, my father worked in uh, banking. He went to night school. He got a job at uh, Chase Manhattan Bank at the time. 
um, and, you know, rose up to be a VP in uh, foreign exchange. Um, my mom um, <clears throat> put herself through beauty school. And uh, when we, so I was born in Queens, so I'm from Queens originally and lived there till I was about five or six. And then uh, my formative years in, in the Jersey Shore, um, you know, she put herself through, through, you know, beauty school and then had her own uh, day spa and salon for over 20 plus years uh, in the Jersey Shore. So, you know, those are my role models, um, you know, and, and looking at their uh, journey uh, and all that they had to uh, overcome uh, to provide me with the life that I had, um, you know, how could I not try to rise to the occasion? Um, and it's not to say it wasn't without uh, challenges. I mean, when we moved to Jersey, the Jersey Shore, um, you know, <laughs> there was a petition to keep us off the block. You know, I mean, it's real talk. Um, you know, I mean, I, I fought almost every day, um, you know, between New York and, and you know, when I first moved to Jersey. Uh, you know, people call me all sorts of names and whatnot. I mean, that, that's just that's just real. And I'm not saying that because I woe is me. That's just it was what it was. I mean, and, and you know, my story is one of many that are like that as well. Um, my first language wasn't even English. My first language was French and Creole. Um, so, you know, I, I also didn't speak English until I, I think I was three. Um, our world was all about the Haitians that came over and, 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 and you know, uh, all living in Queens at the time. And, and we were a small little community. And then outside of that bubble, you realize like, oh, shit, like, uh, first of all, I'm not African-American, so I don't understand the vernacular. I don't have the same, you know pantomime of speaking that you do and so i didn't fit in there i sure as hell wasn't white and so i didn't fit in there um i didn't fit in anywhere and that's pretty much how i felt for most of my life until i went to uh an hbcu howard university um and that was the i mean level setting and an education on multiple levels um, that was my awakening as far as being uh, an activist. Uh, the second semester we were there, uh, I was there, I joined up with a bunch of my other students, my fellow students, and we took over the administration building for three days uh, because they had appointed a, a, a known racist uh, with extreme points of view to the board of directors. Now, granted, I got swept up in it. I, I was like, well, wait, what's going on? Where's everyone going? When I heard, I was like, okay, we're going. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they chained the doors and we were there for three days. And that was the start of my uh, awakening as, as an activist. And there is no way in hell that you can go to a black university or an HBCU and not be woke. Um, so, and I want to I wanna, I wanna build on that a little bit because yeah. like... So I didn't attend an HBCU. I didn't. Does that remind me? Where, where'd you go to? Where'd you go to school? I didn't attend an HBCU, Columbia University, but I did pledge a black sorority. So I had a very different experience. Okay, good, good, good. Okay, so this is great. Okay, because I didn't do either. <laughs> These are good. So it's funny because in this moment, I can't remember who the third person was, but so I saw an article and they were like, three of the most powerful black women that are in space now with uh, Stacey Adams. Kamala Harris, and I don't know who the third is, 
all went to Howard, right? And so there has been a really big discussion around the foundation that that environment creates. And then similarly was that thinking about, you know, being involved in Black Greek world. So I actually would love to pick you guys' brain, Christian, when you think about that experience at Howard and being in HBCU, Howard is its own university. It isn't capturing this whole category. They all have their own perspective. But what was it about Howard that you, what do you think is it about Howard that makes it such a special place? I'd love to talk about your experience there and what do you think makes it such a like healthy environment for productivity in Black America? I mean, well, <sighs> it's a good question, Jason. Um, so I was accepted to multiple schools, uh, Howard, Hampton, Morehouse, and then a bunch of other more traditional uh, schools, you know, uh, and chose an HBCU by design. Now, first of all, I mean, to, to answer your question directly, Howard is in Washington, D.C. I'm a city boy by nature. I, you know, like I said, I was born in New York and Queens and lived there for five years and had relatives there all the time. So I was constantly in the city. Um, D.C. is definitely it's an interesting dynamic of a city because it's south. It, it is a south. It is. Um, is, it, is, it, is it? I always ask. Is, is it technically the south? Brother, it look. Anything past, once you pass Delaware, like that area, it's all South to me. Like you are South. All right, right. definitely. So it's the South to me. It's the South, Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a phenomenal city. I mean, it's so complex on so many levels. Uh, You've got the power base of this country based there. You've got all these cultures and communities that are there because of all the different universities. But, you know, Howard is in the middle of the hood, man. Like, it's right off of Georgia Avenue, right in the middle of the hood. It's part of the, the, the community in and of itself. And then again, it's not. And so there's always this tension between the community and the university and the elements that are outside of the campus and the elements that are inside of the campus and how those things uh, relate to one another, you know, that that constant push-pull, that tension, it was phenomenal. I mean, look, you know, it challenges you on so many levels from that perspective, but for me, what made it even more special and unique is that for the first time, I felt like I belonged to something. Um, there, you know, it's it's a place where the entire Black diaspora comes together, and we are a to your point earlier, we are a complex, beautiful tapestry of cultures and colors and shapes and perspectives. And to have all of that come together on at, in one place for the same purpose of higher learning and higher education, both within the walls and the halls of the university and outside of that, that was... Man, I, I tell you, I can't even put into words like what that experience was for me, man. I re- it's impossible. I'm happy I asked, and I'm happy I got it down, man. I, seeing you talk about it, I, I, Lizette, like we can see the love. Like we can see it in you. And Lizette, I want to ask you the same. I think I think that um, the concept of Black Greek life 
is one of magnificence, I think. And I use that word intentionally. I, I feel like it's a it, it's a very special place and it brings so much out of people. And I don't think that folks outside of the, the diaspora really understand the value and the power in it. So it's I'm learning a little bit like Lizette, like what do you think? You know, and I love to know if you don't mind what sorority you were part of, but I love to just hear about that journey and what do you think it means to you and, and, and what it may mean to other people. Yeah, um, so I'm in Zeta Phi Beta sorority. Um, so here's the thing, you guys, like the legacy of our people, I feel like we came from a legacy of like broken families. Like if you think all the way back to slavery and like how we were, our lives, our, you know, our ancestors' lives were disrupted and came here and through the slave trade, like there's so much brokenness that's built into the diaspora. Um, and that continues to go on, by the way. And I think that's a lot of the reasons that you see some of the issues that you're seeing within our communities, but that's a whole other conversation. So for me, the sorority, so I had, I, um, I was one of two children. Um, I had an older sister and she was killed as a bystander in a shooting when I was in the 11th grade. So mm. I, I very much still had our urban life. Like I was at this fancy school and very high class education, but my life back home was that. So I had to deal with that and her and I were very, very close. Um, so that was a really hard thing to, to deal with. And I knew that I was missing that connection. Mm. Um, my sister, I know I'm fair skinned, but my sister was dark skinned. She's mm. black. Um, and so she taught me about hair and blackness and how to dance and about hip hop. And, you know, she was nine years older than me. So she grew up when hip hop was like being birthed in the Bronx. Um, she was like the cool older sister. So I'm like, you know, I really am missing that connection um, to black women. And it's it's so special. And there's so much history and legacy and the whole process to become part of the sorority has a lot of historical significance in terms of the ways that you create bonds um, with other members of the sorority. So it was a very special experience for me. It was a journey of blackness, of being a black woman. Um, of realizing the power in that. So my sorority sisters from college are still some of my best friends. I just I just had somebody come stay with me for two months during was my quarantine buddy and stayed in my house. Like that, those are my sisters. Um, so I'm eternally grateful. And I'm eternally grateful for that community across all of the Black Greek organizations because they still to me represent the best of us and giving back to the community um, and trying to do do better. Mm. How do we I think you said something that's really important, Lizette. This is how I interpreted, actually. I want to be careful not to misquote you. I interpreted something that you said this way. And my interpretation was that as people of color, we perform better in life when we have family or communal connection, you know? Like, and we want that. And when we have that, it produces really positive outcomes for us and the people around us. And I guess I want to build on that question. It's a little pivot into like professional world. You know, you you are a leader within a large organization and Christian, same for you and, and, and same for me. And I find myself when I'm working with young people trying to find ways and even older people my age create community in their work. You know, it, it, you know, when you walk into a room and it's like 85% of the population kind of looks like each other, they have similar traits, like they can, they get along pretty well. They can, they feel really comfortable. They have, get good community. 
And then here I am, and like, especially when you get to the top, it's super lonely. There, then it's like you look around the room, and you really are the only one in that room. So I guess, Lizette, I wanted to get your professional perspective on what do you think we can be doing better to create more of that community-like environment? Because I think if you have that in your workplace and you feel like I can reach across the room and there's Lizette, you know, and I can talk to her and if I feel uncomfortable, I got someone I can talk to or I've never been in this situation and I can just call my sister and find out what's going on and it just makes me stronger. What do you think we can take from a lot of this pandemic time period and use as a way to grow and create more community for folks like us so that we can bring more productivity into our professional world? Yeah, I think there has to be intentionality with that. And it's been interesting for me having started this job from my home office and not meeting anyone. I'll tell you guys a story. I started this job and two weeks later, George Floyd's murder happened. Um, and I'm like, oh my goodness. And I, I was still doing onboarding calls with people. And so I was just shaken by this whole thing. And I had a call with some with a black man in another department and him and I got on the phone. Do you know me and this man started crying? Like we mm. never met each other. We mm. never met each other. We were on a video call. Literally, it was the most vulnerable thing ever that we sat on that. We sat on Zoom and like cried. Um, and I'm like, I know you don't know me. And, he, you know, like, <laughs> but all both of us were just so overcome. And when we talk about community, I think that there's a connection um, that we have and a bonds that we have because of the level of resilience that we've had to endure um, to get to certain places. You know, Jason, you talked about wanting to meet me long before because, you know, and I, when I see you, I know what it took to get to that point, right. <laughs> like the level of resilience. And there is a connection there. But I think we have to be intentional with that and to create the time and the space to create community and ensure that it's not always business, that you're plugging in to other people um, just in a personal way, um, because I think that's important. Christian, what do you think on that topic, man? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, Jason, you know, I I, I had uh, been fortunate enough after, what, a 20 plus year career, maybe about five or six years ago, find a community of, of peers uh, that became my my fam my work fam my extension of my work fam um right. you know and it started off innocently enough you know ironically a bunch of my peers in the industry we came together started having you know we over a dinner um and had real talk like it was the first time first of all that i had ever been at a dinner of solely people of color um who were all at my level and we were all sharing our experiences and talking about you know like real, real talk, right? Like, do you know this motherfucker said this to me? And yeah. you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, am I crazy? Or like, and like, what? Like, no, you're not crazy. Like, we can't, we don't have spaces to do that. And that was really the first time I ever had that in my entire professional life, period. And, and that had continued over the course of a year and then we were like you know what we should like crystallize this and formalize this and that gave birth to idea initiative um you know which i formed with with five or six of of some of the smartest 
most successful people um, in in our collective industry, but also just amazing, incredible human beings and people that you know have become family to me, similar to to the both of you. Um, and so, you know, I think we as a people um, have been better about coming together and forming uh, unique communities that allow us to have real talk, that allow us to celebrate our successes and, you know, for the failures, quote unquote, um, be there for one another. And that's what it's all about ultimately, you know, because I did not have that over the course of my career, never did. You know, I didn't have a mentee, a, a mentor. I didn't have a sponsor. You know, I've scrapped and, you know, scratched my way to where I am now. And, you know, and it's only in the last six, seven years that I've been able to find this community. And it's amazing. And and there are other communities that are out there as well. And which if you guys are not part of, I, I absolutely need to plug you guys into some of these as well. Um, but that has been a a really the 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 best thing that has come out of my professional career over the course of the entirety of my professional career has been the family and the bonds that i have forged mm -hmm. with the peers my peers specific peers that are people of color who share my experiences share my pain see the world the way i see it um and can relate to the things that i relate to that is a beautiful thing. And I, I want that, I want to, to me, it's like, how do you scale that, you know, across the board? And, and that's what I feel like we, we're, we're, where we're at right now is how do we scale that uh, kind of sentiment, that kind of mentality of support? Because oftentimes, too often, uh, A, you either feel like a unicorn and like you're one of zero, and that's not the case, which is why it's important for us to come together as a community. And then B, you know, just airing a little bit of dirty laundry, sometimes we have that crab mentality, um, you know, that cancel culture crab mentality. And, you know, we talked about that a little bit last summer. Um, and it's just something that I'm, I've never been down with. I, I'm never, ever going to kick somebody down. I'm never going to kick my own people down. Like that, we should be there to support one another and so that has been my biggest uh my biggest responsibility from a professional perspective is to be that peer to be that mentor to be that uh sponsor for those people of color primarily but others as well uh that don't have that um because it's so important to feel supported when you're young and up and coming and Maybe you work in a, in, a, in a at a company that you know they only have two people of color um, across the board, and so where do you go? How do you feel? What what do you do? You know, we need to be better at supporting one another, and you know, paying it forward, but also pulling people, you know, pulling uh pulling the, those that are behind us up as well. And it feels good. It feels good. Hundred. Uh, look, I mean. I'm happy that this is all part of what we're talking about because, you know, if I've contributed to this conversation, yeah, if you guys have watched me as you talk through it, I'm like beaming with 
smiles because you know you know it's so when when i met lizette and we we got a chance to talk a little bit about our shared experience when we went to that jay-z concert that but when i got to know some of her upbringing i'm so passionate and i'm so really happy to hear you guys talk about community and i think that's really for me what i've gotten out of a lot of this is i've guys sharing a little bit vulnerability i've always been like in the middle you know like i've always felt even as an adult like in some instances by some categories maybe i'm not black enough you know i don't know what that means but maybe i'm not black enough you know and then in some and then of course in other categories too black right and so i only say that out loud because i think what has brought me so much joy is creating space for the multiplicity of what blackness is you know and that's so beautiful you know like like I, I had a chat with this this young guy the other day who's brilliant. I shouldn't even call him. He's just a man, and he's he just happens to be younger than me, but brilliant. And our personalities were wildly different. The stuff that he's into, not you know, doesn't not a lot of crossover. But how beautiful he was, and the things that he was interested in, and his passion points, and just how he presented himself was just so wonderful, you know, and. I think that's something that I'm really poised about is how this moment has actually created space for us as a society and certainly a community to see that we're not all the same, but we bring a unified value as people of color. You, you, you guys know what I'm saying? And, and I'm not always sure that that space was always there. You know, I, you know, I can remember when I was in when I was in high school went to a similar school as Lizette, but it was in Chicago, outside of Chicago, and we had our Black Student Union. And I can remember back then, like, we had, there were like four, because our school was so small, there was like maybe 25 Black kids at the whole school. And there were these four kids who I'm really good friends with now. One, if he listens, he'll be happy I shared this story. They were like never brought into like the Black stuff because they were really well off, they were, you know, they grew way outside of any of what the urban kids were used to. And so they never really felt like they knew where to fit. And I was talking to my friend the other day who's grown to become a very successful and self-aware person. And he still feels pain from that, actually. Like, he still feels that pain of, like, I'm black, but, like, where do I fit, you know? And so I, I don't know. Like, Christian, it's a little bit of, like, a double click into not – not crab in the barrel, but just more of like, there's such a wonder that I think we're going through now and seeing how multifaceted we are. And when we work together like Voltron, then we can create so much greatness in the world. So I'm happy you guys share a bit of that perspective. I mean, that's a really interesting point of view, Jason, just to quickly build on that, you know, and it a little bit steps on or ekes into what I was talking about with my experience at Howard and and the the wonderful tapestry of the Black diaspora, um, and you know we come from all different backgrounds and cultures, whether it's the islands or Africa proper, you know Europe or you know South uh, South America, um, you know or in this country. I mean we we are a very complex people. Um, it's funny, I was, so my older son is 
16 and a half, as I said, he's a junior in, in high school. So we're starting to look at colleges and whatnot now. Um, and we, you know, we're fine tuning where, where and which ones we're going to visit virtually or in person. But maybe about two months ago, um, I introduced both of the boys to, to School Days, the movie. Um, it hits on so many of the themes that are still relevant to this day but really are specifically unique to the black culture um in this country right like between light skin and dark skin and the type of hair you have and how you talk and how you walk and all of it, and and you know, it's a it's an interesting, wonderful dynamic uh, that uh, again we all bring to the table. But it's hard to know where you fit in if you're one of a few, um, or if you don't, if you weren't raised in a black community, or if you went to a school that was all white. Like it's definitely hard to to know your place. And I think that comes with a maturity, obviously, and, and wisdom and, and being able to feel comfortable in your own skin ultimately, which is a constant, you know, like I said, from the very beginning, I'm a constant work in progress. And that is part of that uh, journey for me is, you know, I'm constantly changing and evolving how I think how I see things, how I interact with other people, how I look at myself and the things that I want to improve on, and how I see myself as a father, as a black man, all of it, you know? And, and that's the same for all of us, you know? That's, that is a shared or should be a shared experience for all people of color specifically. Um, that is the common thread for all of us is like we need to figure out not just how to survive, but how to thrive and how to be the best version of ourselves, you know, love ourselves. And that is something that I think as a people, we don't is self-love of, of, you know, self-love, self-realization, uh, self-awareness and self-love. I'll leave it love. at that. Perfect. I want to be mindful of you guys' time. I'm going to maybe route with two questions. And Lizetta, walk, walk, walk us into the future. That's, walk, 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 walk with me. Walk with me in terms of, you know, man, I'm listening to this conversation like next year and I'm getting so happy thinking about the stuff we talked about tonight. And I'm imagining listening to it and I'm wanting some things to come to fruition, you know, what a better world looks like. So Lizette, kind of tell me when you think about what a better world can be for us. What does it sound like and what do you think we need to do to get there? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I told you guys, this is what I wake up and think about. I'm here to be transformative. And I think, um, first of all, with our industry, I think there's lots of opportunity to drive accountability um, across the board. And you guys know we've done a lot of work in that space. Um, so there's there's just a lot to be done. But I think I'm looking at my kids and I'm like, I want you to wake up every day and turn on the TV or look at your phone or turn on social media and only think amazing things about yourself and what you're seeing reflected um, in the marketplace. And for that to not be a monolith, by the way, to realize that there is um, diversity in the Black diaspora, like we don't, it doesn't have to be boys in the hood. 
or, you know, like it can be anything. It can be a black doctor, it can be a lawyer, it can be whatever you want it to be and to have that diversity reflected in how the media is portraying us and eventually evolving the depictions of people of color across the world, which is how people form ideas about us. There, there are people in this country that will never talk to another black person. And so their idea of, of what the world is like is what they're watching. Um, and so we have a responsibility to that when I think about the work that we're putting out. And so the world to me is we're, we're breaking this thing and we're reforming it and we're transforming mindsets and we're evolving depictions and our kids are growing up in a place where they feel like they can do anything and they can be anything and there's not as much hate in the world. And I don't know if it'll happen in my lifetime, but I'm sure it's all going to leave a dent in it um, before I leave this earth. I love it. And, and Christian, it's a... It's a same theme, but a slight build on it for you, man. I normally, I ask people sometimes, you know, what is your decision criteria? How do you think about what you look at when you make good decisions? And I wanted to ask you in the vein of what I asked Lizette about what a future looks like, what questions should we be asking ourselves when we think about, am I contributing to this whole thing positively? You know, let me let me just help you build. Let me give you a little example. Like one thing that I've been asking myself a lot in world, not just profession, literally in world is, hey, if I do whatever this thing is, it could be if I buy something, if I attend an event, if I say a word to someone, if I do that, will that person actually feel better about themselves as a result? Will I actually feel more fulfilled as a black person in that engagement? Will it make me feel more whole? I'm starting to ask myself those intentional questions with every decision that I'm making, if that makes sense, Christian. And I wanted to maybe pick your brain on if you were to think about things that we should be asking ourselves to give ourselves guidance of whether or not we're actually being a positive contributor. What are some of those questions that people should really be confronting as they go about making day-to-day -day decisions that are positively impacting Black Americans, both in our profession and in our world? Wow, that's a, that's a deep question, bro. <laughs> Woo, we could go off on a tangent on that alone for another hour, brother, but um, I will do my best to, to try to give you some, some perspective and answers to that. Uh, look, I think first and foremost, that's a very individualized uh, kind of a question, right? Because, uh, you know, what's important to me and what I think are important may not necessarily be the thing for everybody else. So the things that are important to me, uh, you know, first of all, is, is ensuring that, again, I am being the best version of myself. Now, what does that mean? That, you know, I'm learning from lessons, you know, learned. I'm taking away lessons from, from teachable moments. Um, I'm leading by example. Uh, I am a, a, a valuable member of my community. My community starts at my home, first and foremost. So being present as a father, as a husband, um, you know, it starts there. And really, if I really want to bring it, full, you know, to be real, happiness mm. and, and self-fulfillment starts with self. Mm. Uh, it doesn't start externally. It starts within. Uh, and so that's why I think it's so critical for people to continue to work on themselves first, because you cannot help 
others if you do not help yourself. You cannot help make the world a better place if you don't have uh, a home that's a, a happy, healthy home. So it starts with the home, it starts with self, and then it manifests and, and grows exponentially outward from there. To me, the things that are important, diversity and inclusion always, you know, I will fight that fight until I can no longer fight that fight. Um, I'm raising my, my boys to be aware enough and cognizant enough and confident enough to pick up that mantle and fight their own fights as well. Um, so that's first and foremost. Another thing for me is, is you know, you know, frankly, just the disparity between the uh, those that have and those that have not, uh, the socioeconomic disparities in this country. I, I think it ties back into diversity and inclusion. It also ties into other things that are important, but just that alone, I don't know how we solve that, but man, uh, uh, that has to change. Okay. It has to. I mean, I'm all about capitalism. I'm all about, you know, I'm gonna get mine and all that kind of stuff too, but Lord have mercy, man. I mean, in society is the polarization of rich and poor, uh, left and right, uh, all of it, you know, black and white. Like it, it's the polarization has to end. And if I can help bridge that divide in any way, then I will, you know, die a happy man. Like on, that's just real talk. Mm -hmm. Oh man, man. Uh, all right, guys. Oh man. Oh, this is why I love you guys. So I don't keep you up all night because your, your parents, you probably have a long list of emails that have come in during all of this. So I want to make sure I don't keep you too long. But I want to close with a question I ask all of my friends. And it's just if, you know, Lizette, I'll, actually I'll start with Christian because Christian, ladies first and ladies should also finish the show too. So I want to make sure. Fair enough. And I may ask you, and that is if you were to communicate your personal mantra or words that you live by what would that sound uh i have so many to be honest with you and my mentees know and if they listen they, they will rattle them off um i have a few so i'll, I'll give you a, a couple of them and they are really words that i live by uh so first one is hustle beats talent when talent doesn't hustle um i just love that because I've come across people in my over the course of my career and just life in general that, you know, oh, I went to this school or I worked at this place. But meanwhile, you know, the person who's over here who went to, you know, JUCO or went to not a great school or not an Ivy League school is running circles around you and kicking your ass. Why? Because she's got or he has a chip on their shoulder, you know, and fire in the belly. So, you know, I will always take that person. Um, and so that's definitely one of my mantras. Um, I'll leave you with the last one, which is essentially your diet isn't just what you eat. It's what you watch. It's what you listen to. It's what you read and the people you surround yourself with. So be mindful of the things that you put into your body emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Um, I've told my boys from the time that they were 
probably three or four years old, you know, strong body, strong mind, strong heart, strong soul. Um, and so you got to feed all parts of that in order to be whole. Was uh, that how about you? Um, so I have a favorite quote and I have it like over my desk. It is um, true courage is not the absence of fear. It is acting in spite of it. Um, and so I, you know, I've been super blessed. I think all of us have in our in our careers and in our lives. And it's not that, you know, we haven't been afraid at certain. My whole life is a big unknown. I never I'm the first person in my family to go to college. I never knew what was around the corner. I was like, this sounds like it's the right path to go. We'll just see how this works out. Right. And there's always been a little bit of that fear at every step, every promotion, every school, every degree, every next company. There's like that little tinge of fear, like, can I do this, particularly when you're an activist within a very traditional industry? Of course, yes, there is fear there. Um, but you use that fear to fuel you um, and to provide kind of the energy you need to really go in and do what you need to do and do that hustle. I love that quote too, Christian. Um, and I, I always try to pray for courageous leadership to do the right thing and say the right thing, even when it is a hard thing to do. I always ask God to give me the strength to be a courageous leader, because I think that to me is what really defines you. And I think this whole conversation and how the three of us have come together to push the industry forward to me is like the epitome of courageous leadership. So I just want to thank you guys for just being my brothers in the journey because you definitely helped to fuel me and to help appease different seasons when I had a little fear um, and didn't know if I could do it.